0: Welcome to Your Truth Revealed, a video podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to episode 20, Know You're Not Alone. This episode is the continuation of my interview with Karen Reynas we provide practical ways to help one another strengthen mental health.
1: Never underestimate the power of language. Shifting the language, I think, can help us move toward a more positive and proactive approach to taking good care of ourselves. When we get to this place where we completely embody our mental health, I think that's when I think it will be a time of great change.
0: Karen is the executive director of the National Alliance on Mental Illness in Central Texas, also known as NAMI. It's a grassroots mental health advocacy group. Listen as Karen and I discuss her work with law enforcement, better equipping officers to handle individuals in a crisis. We also dive into how sleep, diet, and breathing, along with emotional support, can help us all. There has been a lack of mental health crisis services in the U.S. How is NAMI changing that with law enforcement?
1: I think what you're seeing with NAMI is both at the national, state, and local level, a great deal of interaction. Most people don't realize, for instance, in the state of Texas, the new requirements that are there for law enforcement to get training, that it includes that they are supposed to have a representative from an organization like NAMI, so a a peer, someone with lived experience coming in to help with that training.
0: That is so important.
1: Yes, (laughs) and you know, it's so interesting because I actually just yesterday did training for the Austin Police Department for their cadets, their current cadet class. Excellent. It was really interesting because we're used to doing that training in person, But with everything going on with this pandemic, all of their cadets are doing their classroom as remote learning. They bring in a lot of folks from that community to come in and talk Mm -hmm. about various topics. So they were not going to have any guests for this week, this 40 hours of mental health training. But the crisis intervention team, who we work closely with in doing that training, said, "You know, our experience really is is that." In our week of training that we do with cadets, the piece that you bring in every single time is always ranked among the highest in terms of what they valued in their learning during yeah. that week. Yeah. She said, so we have talked to the that's training cool. academy <laughs> and we've gotten permission to bring in one guest and that's you.
0: Yay. She said, so
1: if you're willing to come in, it's going to require you to actually come in to The academy, and she said, But there's only going to be five of us in the room. The cadets will all be, you know, watching via, you know, online. Mm -hmm. So I came in and did my portion, which is about a 45 to hour long PowerPoint presentation where I really talk a lot about helping to understand the trauma that families face when they have a diagnosis to help them understand the shame piece, why families respond the way that they do, and then really just hit hard on this notion of empathy. Mm
0: -hmm. And I often
1: tell them like, you have a tool belt of things that you wear in your uniform. And I know that that tool belt weighs a lot, but I'm about to give you something that doesn't weigh anything, but that may be the most important tool that you have when you're engaging in crisis, which is empathy and understanding where people are when they're in crisis and how that impacts then how you're going to engage in that time.
0: Well, and I think our our audience could benefit from knowing that you know if there is a crisis a situation they can call 911 and ask for a mental health officer. Yes. Well, and I would up that
1: that okay. in the Austin area, the Austin Police Department now has made a commitment that every officer is going to have the 80 hours of training that is required. Yeah,
0: so you don't even have to make the distinction anymore. That is so important. Now,
1: here's the good news for those of us that live in the Austin area, and I think you're going to see it happen potentially across the state of Texas and and hopefully the nation, right, which is that we will move toward this place of um, ensuring that all officers have that level of training, which in the state of Texas is 80 hours of mental health training. So in the past, what you had in the Austin area was like 162 officers of the whole police force that had that additional 40 hours, because they all get 40 hours of training. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Austin Police Department um, in the fall of last year made the commitment that all officers in the police department would have 80 hours of training. They've been keeping us really busy because we've been doing that training in addition to the cadet training, which I think is huge because what it means then is when you do have to be in that place of crisis and make a call, every officer then could be a mental health officer because they've got that additional training. That's
0: so important. And that they'll know what to do in that situation and that they'll be able to put, I'm assuming the family in contact with the right people and the right services. Whereas we didn't really have that before.
1: Many times families, because they don't know what to do is they make that 911 call. And sometimes you don't need a police officer. Sometimes what you need is a clinician to walk through the situation with you and determine whether or not you might need a, a clinical assessment. And I think most people don't realize that again, In the Austin and Travis County area, but even beyond, so if you live in the surrounding counties, you have Blue Bonnet Trails that is your local mental health authority, but every county in the state of Texas and throughout the nation has a local mental health authority that's connected to the county, and most of them have moved to that place where they're fairly robust and have a 24-7 helpline that you can call that's that is manned then by clinicians, people who have a social work background, who you can call and say, look, here's the situation that I'm in, and then they can help you to determine whether or not you need to actually elevate that call to 911, gotcha. or whether what they need to do is send a clinician out to your home. In the Austin area, you can call 512-472-HELP. Okay. A clinician will answer the phone, do an assessment with you over the phone, and help you determine, Do you need a clinician to actually come to your home? And they can do that. They can send a social worker out to your home Uh to sit with your loved
0: one and make an assessment. And people outside of Austin, how can they easily find that number? What do they Google? So you can Google
1: local mental health authority. It should pop up then who your local mental health authority is in your community. If you live with someone, love someone, know of someone that's in your life who lives with a mental health issue and has been in crisis before or is undertreated or untreated and might get to that place of crisis, I would encourage you to be proactive. Exactly. Have those list of numbers handy. Put right. them in your phone. And, you know, there was a lot of advocacy being done around uh, creating a national suicide number. Uh-huh. There's a number that we're proposing is 988. And it would connect you to the Suicide Prevention Lifelines. They've connected with a lot of local resources. The easier that we make it for people to reach out and get help, the far more likely that they're able to do that. I think in all circumstances you want to avoid calling nine one one if you don't need to. Even though they're really well trained, stuff happens, Erica. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to eliminate the potential of bringing in someone who's trained for crisis situations to use weapons when they need to, and even if they have de escalation um, mm-hmm. training, it's still you hear heartbreaking stories. So I don't want to scare anyone from making that call. What I want to say is know what the other resources are in your community so that you're making those calls first before you make that call to 911. You're able then to contact, uh, you know, your loved one psychiatrist or therapist. But one of the things families don't realize is that that communication can be one way. You can actually reach out to your loved one psychiatrist or therapist and say, I don't need you to respond. I'm just sharing information with you. Here are the things that are happening right now that you need to be aware of. People don't go from being fine to crisis overnight.
0: And it's noticing those warning signs with your loved one and and being objective about, okay, here are the signs. We have it written down. And if we start seeing these, then something needs to happen. Something needs to shift. And so, so that it doesn't get that bad.
1: That's where NAMI can be really helpful as well is because we teach our families communication skills as well.
0: Really using important. I statements.
1: Yes. Yes. Like that's such a small thing, but it completely transforms the conversation and the inner get the interaction when we're using I language.
0: Because it takes, it. it takes yes. the blame out of it. It takes the blame out of you're doing yeah. this and, you know, and because that's not helpful. And the person who is experiencing the mental illness is having hard enough time. Yes. And the communication of using I statements is really about making that connection and and helping.
1: Building that system of care within a family where we all understand um, this language and that we all commit to it then creates the potential to be able to really help people when they're not well.
0: Mental health is really about brain health. And it's yeah. about our daily habits and our lifestyle. So what are some key factors to, for us to look at with brain health?
1: Yeah, I love that um, some of the language is starting to shift around that and really move toward talking about brain health. Um, I love what the World Health Organization has to say, right, which is there is no health without mental health.
0: I just read that, and I was yes. so amazed by their language. They oh, nail it. Yeah.
1: The, the documents that they've created and the language around that is powerful. It is. And that powerful. has been around for a while. But this notion of recognizing that mental health is health is huge. And never underestimate the power of language. Shifting the language, I think, can help us move toward a more positive and proactive approach to taking good care of ourselves. Because I think this separation that we hear all the time well, there's physical health and then there's mental health, as though mental health happens somewhere outside of your body.
0: Oh, it drives me crazy.
1: When we get to this place where we completely embody our mental health, I think that's when I think it will be a time of great change.
0: That's why I studied somatic counseling psychology. Somatic means the body. It has Uh to do with the entire self, not how we've approached psychology in the past where it's from the neck up no 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 it's your whole experience yeah among
1: the people that come to us and share their stories who are really well in their recovery all of them talk about how important sleep is
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i think we totally underestimate the power of that as a culture we don't sleep enough what is you know one of the things people should really be doing to take good care of their mental health right now it's like sleep and then how are we fueling our bodies we have this separation We think about if we eat good food, that it physically helps us. And it's like, yes, and it helps our brain as well.
0: Which is part of our our body. body.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I know these seem like really small and simple things, but the power of using our controlled breathing is huge as well. Mm -hmm. I think most of us in this time of great anxiety and stress are not realizing how we're Breathing a lot more shallower and and we're in this constant state of chronic stress and that controlled breathing really helps us in terms of really reducing our stress helping our immune health
0: a lot of the clients that I've worked with who complain about having anxiety. I just I just watch them and how they're breathing and I would say the majority of people that I see are chest breathers and they're not even breathing down into their belly and having it be mm-hmm. a full diaphragmatic breath yes. and we will spend so much time on it and they get so frustrated and i just tell them well it's just like any other habit yes. and trust me you do do belly breathing because you sleep within a 24-hour period you're, <laughs> you're belly breathing your body knows how to do it but it's making that <clears throat> that conscious awareness yeah. of being able to breathe that deeply
1: Yes, absolutely. And some of the webinars and stuff that I've been doing, I've been starting with a minute breathing meditation.
0: Good job. I love that.
1: Never ceases to amaze me. The power of just one minute of really doing some just deep breathing, how it just literally resets everything. I find that if I just spend like 10 minutes starting my day that way, it completely shifts how my day is going to go.
0: That's something that I did before we started this interview.
1: There you go. And again, I don't want to minimize that people live with, again, serious mental health issues. And mm-hmm. I think especially right now, that to me is a lot of preventative stuff. It people is. need to understand that we're living in a time of great collective grief, mm-hmm. anxiety, and stress as we deal with the uncertainty, the loss of our lives as we know it. Um, And so we all need to be taking really good care of ourselves. And I think for the people that are out there who are trying to work and, you know, manage kids who are not in school and the stress of all that, slow down and make sure that you're all getting enough sleep. I mean, I think this is a great time to teach your kids, you know, breathing exercises and do it together as a family. And, um, you know, all of those things can really just help in terms of helping you develop, as you mentioned Just new coping skills. I'm really concerned about right now. I know that there's a lot of joking around the use of alcohol.
0: Uh, And then the truth is that it makes sleep worse. It can cause depression and anxiety. And we just don't know that. When people drink, they're just saying, oh, I feel calmer in the moment. But the body sees it as a toxin.
1: As a culture, we talk about it as a coping skill. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I've had a bad day. I'm, I need to go home and have a glass of wine, right? I mean, you know, I get it. I've I've said that many times myself. It's like, whew, I need new glass of wine after that. Yeah. Um. And so, imagine if we talked about breathing that way. I need to exhale. <laughs> you know what I need? I need a good deep breath. So then it would be great because we'd be going through this pandemic and everybody would just be breathing and, and it's free.
0: You don't have. Yeah, I don't have a bill at the end.
1: And all the science shows that it really works. Like, no, life is all about making choices um, about moderation. That's right. I think this is a time when we really have to strive to do that as well as, as we find ourselves in these really tough places.
0: What is it like for someone who has received a mental health diagnosis and how does NAMI help with that?
1: Yeah, I think for a lot of folks, whether it's the individual themselves or the family, there's sometimes some grieving that takes place. Mm-hmm. That that's completely normal, and people should know that that can happen sometimes when when you find out that you've got Parkinson's or yeah. oh for sure, yeah, any number of things, right? Because what you're grieving is again for that loss of life as you know it, and this understanding that that it's a chronic health issue, mm-hmm. and that can be really challenging. I think we're getting better around brain health issues that when we share that with friends and family and our support system, that sometimes there's a different kind of response. You mentioned that, but I still think we're not quite there where that's universal. Reach out to NAMI. A whole plethora of resources and support that they're going to need to help them navigate this in the best possible way. We're going to educate them and we're going to support them so they can come out of this informed empowered and emboldened a whole class where you talk about treatment options and all of the medications. And I'm sure that my daughter's psychiatrist rolled her eyes anytime she saw me coming. (laughs) I didn't care because if I was going to an appointment with her and I thought there was a medication change happening, I would pull that whole section out of that binder and I would go to that appointment and she'd mention a medication and I'd be like, hold on. But that helped me be a better advocate and more informed. We are at our best in terms of health when we are advocates for ourselves. Absolutely.
0: And And we have to be. Nobody else is going to do it for us. No. And guess what?
1: And sometimes clinicians aren't going to like that. Like if you're lucky, you'll have a doctor who totally like loves that, that Mm -hmm. you are an advocate for yourself and that you're asking all the right questions. And I have to tell you, if you have a doctor that poops you or frowns at
0: you? I did, I had a doctor's appointment on Monday and I'm very proactive about my health yes. and I'm holistic. I'll approach it from every angle. There's a certain yes. symptom that I have right now that's still not being handled right. He did not like the fact that I had so many questions. I had different perspectives than he did. And I thought I am never gonna see that doctor again. He that's- should be happy that as a patient that I'm taking that much interest yes. in my own health. Yes. Not discarded. I was so angry. Yeah, (laughs) As you should have been. And I think one of the things I tell people all the time that when it
1: comes to um, doctors and therapists, Mm -hmm. to recognize and see yourself as a consumer. Like if you go to a restaurant and you get terrible food or terrible service, guess what? You don't have to go back there. Yeah, because this is a service, an experience that you're paying for. Mm. And so you're only going to go back if you have this great experience, right? Where it's like, oh, man, the food was wonderful and the service and I love the ambiance. And so you want to keep going back. And the same is true with our health care. If you don't have a good experience, you're not going to go to the doctor when you need to go.
0: Right.
1: And if you don't have a good experience with a therapist, then you're not going to stay committed and really thrive from that experience. Like you get to make choices. And if you're not having a good experience, find someone else. And I know sometimes with insurance being what it is, that's easier said than done. Psychiatrists in particular are hard to come by. But if you can make switches, I'd say make a switch. You have to see yourselves as a team. Honestly.
0: Yes, you do. It really is a collaboration. It has to be.
1: You know, so most people don't recognize that only about 20% of our care and our wellness happens in clinical settings, 20%. The other 80% happens in our community, in our homes, who we live with and how they support us in our wellness. That impacts our health far more than that clinical piece. That's only a small piece of that experience. That 20% better see themselves as a team with you. (laughs) I agree with
0: you. Mm-hmm. and
1: move toward understanding that we have so much more power in taking good care of ourselves than we give ourselves credit for and that sometimes the medical community gives ourselves right. you know, credit for. And
0: I do think that we still have, I guess, the, the white coat syndrome Oh sure. when we're nervous because we see the doctor, if it's a psychiatrist or even a therapist, is having power over us or knowing more than we do. More. But the fact is that we know more about ourselves than any other human being. And I believe that anyone who's in that position needs to understand that it is that collaboration. But there's a lot of egos out there.
1: There certainly are. There's a culture shift happening mm-hmm. that there's no way that, that the medical community can't change. And again, I think you see a lot more medical schools being focused on these social determinants of health, mm-hmm. about taking a more team approach to people's care. That's when the very best of care happens, honestly. And I think there's something really powerful about our owning, Mm -hmm. you know, our ability to make decisions that are going to impact our health in a real positive way.
0: I agree. There was something that you said in a conversation that we had before now about psychiatrists and how few psychiatrists there really are. And why is that?
1: that in the state of Texas, we know that there's more than 200 plus counties that don't have a single psychiatrist.
0: Oh boy. Okay. Not one. If you're going to go
1: into medicine Mm -hmm. and put yourself in a great deal of debt, so you're looking long-term at your future, a lot of medical students that are making decisions about what field that they go to Mm -hmm. based on how can they support themselves and their families. So there was not a lot of investment being made in psychiatry around research either starting to see more dollars being spent mm-hmm. on research around um, psychiatry and, and brain health. Mm-hmm. And so people are seeing that as a place where there is new activity and energy happening. Mm-hmm. So I think you're seeing a lot more folks that are moving through medical school and seeing that that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times you had people that were choosing <laughs> that field and people would go, you sure you really want to go into science? <laughs> it's the same shame thing.
0: Oh, I've had that with counseling. I got my master's degree in counseling psychology in California, and there's a significant amount of training hours that I had to get to get licensed. I had called the state of Texas way ahead of time before I even started on that journey of getting the hours and said, are those hours going to transfer? And they said, yes. Got the majority of my hours in California, moved to Austin. You know, I'd spent so much money on my graduate education so much time where i could have been making money where i really wasn't making that much you're right and texas said no we're not going to honor those hours start all over again Mm -hmm. this was six years of my life and i just said it's not even worth it not not only is it not worth it i've got a child i need to start making money we make it so hard as a society for, for psychiatrists or counselors to even do the work. Yeah. And counseling is not lucrative. Yeah, no, you've
1: hit on a really big issue. I mean, because actually one of the things that we've been trying to advocate for at the legislative level is really for a shift in the laws. You have some states that don't have those kinds of barriers. So that is the case. If you're a psychiatrist and want to move into the state of Texas, it's the same thing. The barriers that we set, it actually, for those of us who live in the state of Texas, it discourages counselors and therapists from moving to the state. I mean, Like we have this great medical school in our community. We're educating folks that are very likely to end up going to other states for their residency and then maybe say, man, I'd love to come back and live in Austin and then won't
0: come back. Yeah, and I'm from Austin, so I wanted to move home with this great education I got and all this experience. It's silly. So often some of the barriers
1: are just ridiculous because there are things that we could easily change and there's, you know, all kinds of reasons why it doesn't happen. And we continue to advocate for that kind of change to make it easier from folks from other states to come and practice here. You know, I think all states ought to be doing that. We ought to make it easier when there's so much need.
0: Oh, it angers me. Yeah, it's frustrating for sure. Well, I, I mean, we've covered everything that I can imagine. Is there okay. anything else that you want to add? I can't think of anything else. I just want to thank you. Oh, I see. Uh, it's been great to have this
1: conversation. I'm sure that we could keep talking for another three hours and Easy. cover all kinds of different aspects of the topic. But thank you for making brain health a priority and for playing a part and helping to normalize um, that this is a health issue, that it impacts lots of folks, right. that treatment does work and recovery is possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, just all of those messages that are so critical to our community so that we move to a different place and that we really do begin to change the conversation around mental health right. so that people feel far more proactive and positive about addressing that part of their health.
0: And my, my yeah. huge thing is, is self-empowerment. We're all empowered. We just need to be told and we need to be reminded. Yeah, and you're doing that. So thank you. And thank you for helping me to play a part in that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Do you need assistance with relaxation, mood, and occasional sleeplessness? Our featured product is Calming Cream by Neurobiologics. This natural lotion is designed to increase levels of the calming, reducing neurotransmitters in the brain. In a lavender oil base, it delivers GABA, L-theanine, 5-HTP, and magnesium to help you relax and feel balanced. Go to yourtruthrevealed.com slash store and use promo code TRUTH for a 20% discount. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Karen Reynas. There's a shift happening with mental health crisis services across the U.S., More police departments are making a commitment to provide every officer with mental health training. If a loved one is experiencing a mental health crisis, officers can provide appropriate resources. This may include calling a clinician to come to your home to conduct an assessment. This is a much better alternative than jail or worse. For anyone with a loved one living with a mental health condition, NAMI offers excellent training and communication. They teach a style of communication that focuses on the feelings and thoughts of the speaker rather than believed attributes of the listener. This is called using I statements. For example, someone may say, When you sleep most of the time, I feel sad and concerned. Instead of blaming, why do you sleep all the time and get nothing done? Cooperative communication creates empathy and opens people up to come to a solution together. The importance of good sleep hygiene, proper nutrition, and exercise is fundamental. When our bodies get what they need, our mood benefits greatly. Also, there is power in deep belly breathing. It helps you relax, lowers your heart rate, and blood pressure. Let's try it now. Place your hands on your belly. Inhale through your nose and into your belly. Then slowly exhale as if you're blowing through a straw. See if you can lengthen your exhale so that it's twice as long as your inhale. I find deep belly breathing to be a powerful antidote to stress. Remember to see any mental health provider as an ally. If they are not a good fit, simply find someone else. Professionals can provide about 20% of your support and wellness. The other 80% happens in your community, your home, the people you live with, and how they support you. But guess who's the most important of all in your wellness? It's you. And by the way, if you need free and confidential crisis counseling, you can text NAMI at 741-741 at any time of the day. You can also learn more about NAMI in episodes 15 and 16. Let's keep this cultural shift moving in the right direction and live with empowerment. Take a look at the show notes for all of these resources. Join me for episode 21, Know Your Anxiety Relief, as I interview Dr. Ann Taylor. She teaches seven ancient rituals to heal modern high-functioning anxiety. When we look at society and culture and the breakneck speed that we're going through and the diseases, including anxiety, that come along with it, you know, it's important to step back and realize this may be the social norm, but it is not normal. It's anything but normal. Until next time, subscribe and rate the show. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.